just soak in that moment for the next 20, 30 minutes. You can uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Feel like I wrote down the right, the wrong verse. I'm just double checking here, sorry. We'll figure that out as we go along. This morning, I want to remind you that uh, there can be there can be no revival apart from the revitalizing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Straight out of the Word of God, we read, "It is not by might nor by power." But by my spirit, said the Lord. And Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. I think it's important for us to really understand how truly powerless we are. Sure, we, we feel like we can do a lot. I, Graham Knowles, and who I am, my natural characters, personality, abilities. Uh, my mom and dad regularly tell me how gifted I am. I don't know if they're telling me that I'm special in a different way, but without God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we truly are powerless. And uh, it's important to recognize that it's really within God's power to pour out His Holy Spirit or to withhold a fresh outpouring of His Holy Spirit. It's within His power to withhold and to pour out. But it's possible and happens, is happening right now within the church of Western society to quench the Holy Spirit within our lives. At the end of the day, we're, we're defeating ourselves if we believe that all that is required for revival is to pray a little, to schedule a special evangelist to come in, set a date, invite a bunch of people and have a meeting. If that's what we think it takes to, to have revival, then we're really, really, really missing the mark. And I know that there was a time where that's what 
our culture was obsessed around, and we thought we could formulate if we did those things, that that was what was going to lead to revival. But all that is is just a meeting, which we put a title on it, and we called it Revival Services, and figured because we called it that, then this is what's going to take place. But if you know your history of the church, of the greatest revivals that have taken place, they didn't call them a revival meeting and a revival took place. There was a revival that already had started within the church, which the overflow of that was the revival meetings. And they were called revival meetings because that's what was actually taking place, not because that's what they wanted to take place. It was already happening. Year after year after year, leading into decade after decade, I know in my setting, in Atlantic Canada, in the time that I spent out in British Columbia, year after year, I've seen the church, those that are a part of and make up the church, go through these motions year after year of planning a revival meeting, but not doing what it takes to see revival actually take place in their own setting. And I know that in our society, there are many, many reasons why we see a decline in the church. There, it's, it's really interwoven to what the church has become. And you can't point your finger at one specific thing and say, this is it. But I challenge you that a big part, a significant piece of that puzzle is we've had our emphasis on the wrong things. We're putting our carts before the horse and expecting that a specific set of programs or events is going to fill our pews. Sure, maybe it'll fill it for that event, for that set of uh, meetings. Although, anyone besides me noticed that when churches host a revival meeting, most of the pews are filled by those that are already Christians. It's very few and far between of those that a revival meeting should be reaching. We don't see very many of them in those pews. Am I the only one that noticed, has noticed that in the last few decades? It's, it's strange to me. But yet we continue to do it and do it and do it again. And we still see the exact same results. Why aren't we growing? Because we just keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over again and hope that by some miracle, by our power and actions, we can put fancy names on it. We can say that God led me to bring this evangelist in and do it this way. But I'm going to call it what it is. And it gets really uncomfortable. We're doing the wrong things and doing them repeatedly and expecting something different to happen. 
before I came here, I pastored in the city of uh, St. John. Um, I was a, I don't even remember what the title was, but basically a glorified youth pastor. And uh, I remember stories. I forget the name of the ladies, but there were two ladies, which commonly it seems to be ladies all over the place. But there were two ladies that felt God stirring them to minister to St. John in the greater area. And revival took place in, those situa- in, in that city. And God has, ro- re- because of those ladies, have raised up some incredible churches that have come from that movement. But they didn't start at a place of, let's have a revival meeting, and call it a revival meeting, and then a revival take place. They started with a place of self-examination, making sure that they weren't quenching the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to move. Paul ended his first book of Thessalonica. Well, that's a hint that I'm in the wrong spot. Let's go to the very last book of Thessalonica. That would be exactly why. Yeah, I'm in chapter, chapter 5. I'm in the right place. I was right. I didn't have a senior's moment. Pastor, I, sorry, I'm going to have, anyhow, Paul ended his first book to Thessalonica with some powerful little sentences, and I mean, let's be honest, most of, if not all of Paul's writing is very powerful, but I want to focus on the end of Thessalonica, and uh, I want us to look at one of them in particular this morning. Uh, so that we can discover some things in our lives, do some self-reflection, and this can really be painful at times. But please bear with me. Please plug in. Don't silence your heart, your mind. Let God speak to you. There are some things that we may need to discover about our lives, of how we may be quenching the Holy Spirit. And it can prohibit us from having a deeper running spiritual movement in our church, in our city. We can be getting in our own way of seeing revival happen. And so in uh, 1 Thessalonians verse 5, I'm going to be reading chapter, sorry, verses 12 through 22. I'm, I have it in uh, New Living Translation, but I'm reading it from the NIV on my paper, which was, I just realized that's why it was confusing me, different words. All means the same. So chapter 5, verse 12, and it's, for those that are new, I read off my sheet instead of out of my Bible because the words are bigger on here. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their works. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. In verse 19, he directly tells the Thessalonians and continues to speak through the ages to Christians of every time and generation, warning us to be careful to watch that we do not quench the Spirit. And as you read through the Bible, there are a number of, number of ways people can quench the Spirit. However, we would be here more time than we have, and you probably want to spend with me. So we're just going to touch on a few of these uh, ways that I felt led to speak about within our context. A few ways that you, I, at times, are continually may recognize that we are quenching the Spirit. And so first, unconcerned hearts will quench the Spirit. In uh, Revelations, John was writing, inspired by the Spirit. And in chapter 3, verse 14, he wrote that God knew they were lukewarm, that they were not hot, that they were cold, that they were lukewarm. And if you take a moment to truly self-examine, even though it hurts, what could you say about yourself? Where are you? Where does that leave each of us? Would you consider yourself hot? Would you so you're just on fire, you're, you're allowing the Spirit to minister, you're active in your relationship, it's not a passive relationship, but it's an actual two-way relationship with God that He is building you up and you're drawing nearer to Him because He's always, He's a constant. It's me that gets further away or draws closer or just is stagnant. It, it's a me movement, not a Him movement. So are you hot? Are you cold? Or are you just kind of non-committal? You're lukewarm. You're riding the fence. You're living, trying to live both sides, doing some things that probably you shouldn't be doing because it's not uplifting to your spiritual life. But then you're also trying to have the good stuff as well to hopefully I can still get to heaven, even if I meddle over here a little bit. Where are you at? If we say that we desire, and most of us do profess this with our words, but sometimes I get a little bit lazy with our actions, because how many of you know, sometimes it's inconvenient, sometimes it feels not fun to... uh, focus on our proper spiritual disciplines. Sometimes we can find excuses, oh, I have to cook a meal, um, or the deck needs to be repaired. There's always something to do, 
And so it can be easy to deprioritize our spiritual relationships. But we all say that we have a heart. We desire to have a heart after, modeled after Jesus Christ, after the Father. But the reality is, is if we say that, then what we're saying is we have a heart just like Jesus, whose every heartbeat was in compassion for those that are sick. For those that are hurting, he had a heartbeat and compassion for those who didn't know Jesus. So how does my heart, how does your heart truly measure up to Jesus? How does it measure up to the heart of the Father? Do we have hearts that are cold, that are unconcerned? Do we have hearts that are inconvenienced by the new, by the unfamiliar, by the stranger or the strange acting person? Do we care more about our own plans that we rush away from situations where we feel the prompting of the Spirit or we're unconvenienced by a Sunday morning that's going a little bit long? Our timeline, our personal timeline is more important, and so we need to rush out at the end of a service instead of dwelling and allowing the Holy Spirit to mentor or to minister to our hearts. That, so, a question for you this morning. If you relate it to any of those uncomfortable questions I just asked. Does that mean that you, that I, that we may be hindering God from sending revival to our church? These are questions that have to be asked. In a business situation, any Fortune 500 company has become a Fortune 500 company and done as well as it does because its leadership continually self-evaluates. It has a board of directors that asks really tough questions and always answers them honestly because anything else would have that company run into the ground. Anyone that is successful in life is successful because they are able to be honest and real with themselves and say, I haven't got to where I want to go because this, this, and this, or maybe it's just one thing, I've got in my way. And so why should we be any different? Why should we spare ourselves the same self-evaluation? If we have a goal we better figure out why we aren't hitting that goal. Do you agree? And so it's worth, even though it's uncomfortable, it's not always nice, it's worth asking these questions of ourselves and saying, what is the real answer to this question? Because then, if we recognize the problem, then we have the responsibility to fix it. And if we fix it, then we're getting that much closer to what we say our goal actually is. 
And so I ask that question again. Does that mean we are hindering God from sending a revival to our church? You may say, well, God is all-powerful. Like, if he wants to do it, he can do it. Sure, 100%, absolutely. And I've seen God save people um, in some miraculous ways. I had a teen in uh, my last church that came to God in his bathtub, literally. He grew up in an atheist family. I've probably told the story. Grew up in an atheist family. And, uh, but he had been wondering if there's more. And God came to him in his bathtub. And he came to faith. Like, it was probably about a week later he showed up at, uh, at our, young, our Next Generation ministry program. And I sat there with a couple other people till past midnight talking about God and who God is and answering all of his questions. And he gave his heart to God. He was baptized and all of that. Yes, God is all-powerful, but we are to be God's hand extended here on earth. And every revival that has taken place has been a result, mass salvations, has been a result of the people of God being stirred up, being so 100% sold out and dedicated to who God is and who God has asked them to be, that the Spirit poured out upon them. And like a tide, it has gone out to others. If God wanted to do it by himself and thought that the most effective way to do it would be by himself, he would have done that already. But God chose you. God chose me. God's perfect plan is through us. Am I getting in the way? Am I a hindrance? Like I said a minute ago, every heartbeat of Jesus was in compassion for those who were sick, that were hurting, that didn't have faith in God. And so ask yourself, do I care like Jesus cared? Do I care about what Jesus cared about? In Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 It says God was looking for someone to stand in the gap and make the protective hedge before the people. He was looking for someone. He continues to look for someone who cares. Do you care? Would I be able to bother someone to get me some water, please? I just realized they didn't get some. There was a former pastor by the name of Roy Fisher who said during his days in the pastorate, he would pass this street corner. And uh, every day he would drive by on the way to the post office, and there was always this man who sold fruit there out of the back of his pickup truck. Roy said that uh, one day the Spirit had impressed him to witness to that man. But he never followed through with that impression. He said that he just imagined to himself, surely that man, that man must have already heard. That man probably is already saved. But one day he drove by that corner and the man wasn't there. 
and time went by and the man never showed up. He inquired and he found out that the guy had died. Roy Fisher was at a revival meeting. He was at a meeting labeled a revival meeting. And he used, talked about this situation, to use it as an illustration. And he had talked about in it that uh, the city had a lot of congregations. There were a lot of churches in that city. And he figured that man probably had been saved. After the meeting, one of the man's relatives came up to Fisher and said, that man was my uncle. And he wasn't saved. Has God, is God impressing on you to do something? And are you ignoring it? Just pushing it off, well, someone else can do it. Oh, I'm not really sure if if I'm hearing God correctly. Thank you, Mark. Is your heart truly modeled after the Father's heart? Do you care for what Christ cares for? I'm afraid that there are some of us that come to church as part of ritual, as part of habit, as part of something that you've been doing for year after year, maybe since you were a child, that uh, you come to church to get the warm, fuzzy feelings. You feel better about yourself because of it. You need to understand something this morning. This isn't about us. It's not about me. It's not about my own plans and what's my own desires. If I'm just showing up for the warm fuzzies, it's not good enough. It's not about us. But what it is very much about is Him. And if we say we are about Him, then guess what that automatically should equal, that we are going to be about them. Because that's what his heart is about. And so we don't just come to this building every Sunday morning because we like the music. And then we complain to others when we don't like the music, or we don't like the volume, or we complain to others because, well, that message, it didn't really feel like it was good enough this morning. Because guess what? Sunday morning servants isn't just about me. It's about all of them. All of us as a family. And just because that particular morning God may have not spoke to me, there is someone else that he spoke to. So how dare I be so selfish that I get in the way of what God has done for someone else. 
because we're a family. We're all at different places in our walk with God. We all have different things happening in our life and need different things at different times. And then a complete stranger comes in and how the music sounds that, that morning, that particular song that you don't know, but the lyrics of it may have spoke to that person. Pastors spoke in a different way or spoke about something that I was uncomfortable with. Maybe that person needed to hear that. Because church isn't about me. It's about God. And if we're about God, we're about everybody else. But, not quite a big but, more of a little but, God also loves each and every one of you. And so if you're modeling yourself after God's own heart, and if you're receptive to what God is doing, God will still minister to you, even in times when you're not completely digging what is happening in that service. Number two, uncontrolled tongues will quench the spirit. James said, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. How many of us know how powerful our tongue is? Yesterday, Sawyer was asking me, uh, and it just happened to fit in as an illustration uh, perfectly. He was asking me. What would happen if you didn't have a tongue? Like, could you still talk? And I said, well, I mean, we can, we can try. We can put our tongue to the bottom of our mouth, and we can see if we can still talk. And then he said to me, are there people that, like, don't have any tongues at all in the world? I said, yeah, sure, there are people, there are people that were born without tongues. And there's people that, like, in some areas of the world that have uh, strange to us traditions um, where they may cut out part of their tongue or cut pieces in their tongue or whatnot. I said, so yeah, I mean, you can talk kind of without a tongue, but it doesn't sound very good. Our tongue is pretty powerful. As a pastor, people often have a lot to say to us. They have a lot to say to us about ourselves. They have a lot to say to us about others. They have a lot to say about what is right or wrong. They have, people have a lot to say to us about what uh, other people have to say about us. Um, I tell you what. I hear a lot. People have a lot to say, especially in the last couple years. My goodness. The way people have used their tongues in the last few years, and I'm not taking sides right now, but the way that people have used their tongues in the last few years, it's heartbreaking. But I, I only have one, I have one tongue. 
have one tongue in my mouth. I have one tongue that I can control. And I don't have the time nor the energy. Sometimes I do have interest, but think better of it, control myself, to try to control anyone else's tongue. It's not up to me to control. I try to teach about the fruits of the Spirit and the ways that we, I mean, Pastor Andrew especially in the last five months has talked a number of times about how we need to treat others, um, how we need to control our tongue without using those exact words. But at the end of the day, I have one tongue to control, and it's mine. And I'm not perfect about it. I have as many strong opinions as the next person, but my job is about me. Your job is about you. There's one, there was this one person, this is a story, by the way, I don't know if it's true, but it fit. There was this one person who came to a preacher and told him she wanted to lay her tongue on the altar. The preacher looked at the altar and he said, Sorry, but I don't think the altar's long enough. I have a feeling that's not a true story, because that man probably wouldn't be alive to tell the story after that. Really, there are three main ways for people to use their tongue. And I'm going to go through these three very quickly, and I want you to see which category you fall in. The first is, there is a careful tongue. James 1.19 says, a tongue that is slow to speak. Are you good at heeding that advice? Mountain climbers say that there are certain times where only a whisper can start an avalanche. And so they're careful when they're climbing with their tongue. Are you careful with your tongue the way when you talk, when you choose to remain silent? What fights are worth fighting when it's time to just be quiet and nod your head and smile? Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have to say, let's agree to disagree. Because that can be confrontational at times. Okay, I respect that. Even if in your heart you're, you're cringing. Someone says, oh, that pastor's preaching this morning. Hmm, I'm sorry. I don't partake in that conversation. Better not say that about me, I'll find out. So there's a careful tongue. Then there's the careless tongue. Of course, if there's a careful tongue, then there must be an opposite to that. One's tongue can ignite ignite such deep hurt and pain or offense. It can burn another so deep that it can drive them away. It can drive them away from you, from the love of God, the love that God so desperately wants to show each and every one of us. 
Has anyone here ever experienced words where it just cuts you so deep? Am I the only one? And the way that words can hurt and how it can last. Do you understand how powerful, how much might you have in your words? The tongue can start a fire that can burn in a person's life for a very, very, very long, long time. Then there's the critical tongue. There are those who set the Bible aside and judge for themselves. Anyone know someone that seems to be like that? I know a few. There are those that seem to set their own standards, their own expectations. Hear me, our lives must only measure up to one. And that one is God. That one is Jesus Christ, a part of the three-in-one, the Trinity. We must only measure up to God and truly care about what God thinks about us. Everything else doesn't matter. It doesn't mean there aren't times where we ignore good advice of others. It's scriptural to seek after the wisdom of elders, of those that have more experience. But it also, you need to understand that my advice, what I think, may not matter as much as I think it actually does. And I probably, many times, have a much higher elevated self-opinion about my thoughts than anyone else would. It's been said the gentle dove will not remain in an atmosphere of strife. And so, we, if we would desire the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our own lives, to be at work within our family, we must love like Holy Spirit. We must frown at gossip, at evil speak, at malice, at envy, public or private controversy. We must not allow those things to be present in our lives. If in your friend group that's something that happens commonly, you be the one that you decide today, I'm going to put the, the kaposh to that, as the old folks say. I'm going to be the one that stops that. And if that means that friend group doesn't want to have you around anymore, it's probably better that way. And hopefully that they learn. Sometimes a single word of criticism, and I've, it's not something that I've heard of here. I've witnessed happen here. I've witnessed at almost, dare I say, every church I've been involved in. I've been guilty of this in my, myself at times. Every Sorry, sometimes a single word of criticism after a service can dispel all its blessing and influence upon the heart of someone who was interested, who was spoken to. 
and it can counteract the gracious work that would have resulted of what God had been doing. We have to be so careful with our tongues. There was an individual who, after turning home one night from church with her unsaved husband, was laughing lightly about some of the mistakes and eccentricities of the speaker. Suddenly she felt her arm trembling. She looked at his face and eyes were falling, or sorry, tears were falling from his eyes. His eyes were falling, that would be, wow. I can make fun of myself, by the way. He gently turned to her and said, pray for me. I have seen myself tonight as I never did before. She suddenly awoke with an awful shudder to realize that she had been frivolous, frivolously wrecking his soul and hindering him from salvation and quenching the Holy Spirit. And so I remind you, controversy, criticism can be fatal, can quench the work of the Spirit. It's when the children of God unite at the feet of Jesus and together seek his blessing that he can come in true fullness of power. The Spirit may be quenched in the hearts of our friends by unwise counsel, so be careful, or by ungodly influence, so be careful. The little children in our lives, maybe not so little anymore, can be discouraged from seeking God by parents that are ignorant or too critical or have nothing but bad to say because of frustrations they may have with other people in the church. And so be careful. The attractions of the world and the claims and the pressures of business may be interposing in some way and influencing the way that you speak. Be aware of that. Be aware that you're not putting stumbling blocks in your brother's and your sister's way. Let us be very careful, lest in our willfulness, in our pride, we not hinder others from experiencing what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And then thirdly, an unscriptural truth can quench the Holy Spirit. One of the chief workings of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth from the Word. The Word of God was breathed, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there's no place in the Christian life for supposing or suggesting that uh, careful attention to the Bible is somehow in direct opposition to earnest devotion of the Holy Spirit. Anyone that says they're wishing to honor the Holy Spirit, that says that they wish to be close to God's heart, 
we do well to honor the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspires and seeks to illuminate. And sometimes Christians will cite the promise found in, in John chapter 16, verse 13, that says the Spirit will guide you into truth. And they'll take that as reason to expect that there will be new insights, something new to put into the passage, a brand new unfound truth. But the truth referred to in John 16 is the whole truth about everything bound up in Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life. When it says the Spirit will guide you into all truth, it means the Spirit will unpack the things to come, not put new things there for you to make up. The Spirit will unpack and reveal insofar as he'll reveal to insofar as how he revealed in the same way the scriptures to the apostles. In the way he revealed Jesus as the Messiah leading up to de- Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation. Just like we've seen in the Bible. The, Bible, the Spirit spoke for the Father and the Son to help the apostles remember and understand the true meaning of what Jesus had to say. And so if we understand that that's what the Spirit did for the apostles, this means that the Spirit is responsible for revealing the same truths that he revealed to the apostles to us. He revealed truths to the apostles to write the scriptures. And so the truths are already there. We don't need to make new truths up. We don't need to add new truths in or remove something because it's inconvenient to what we want to do or how we want to to believe. The Bible is an already inspired and revealed by the Holy Spirit, true word of God. It already was written with authority and continues to hold the same amount of authority to the end of time. The Bible is a spirit-inspired book So to insist that you need to come up with some magical new revelation or truth is simply not a reality that should take place because everything in here always will be true. To insist that you need to exegete some new rigorous theology some freshly inspired thing. It just, it's just not there. The words, there's nothing to read. In, I mean, in my Bible, you couldn't even fit any words between the lines. But there's no words to add in between the lines. Everything to know is here. Every truth to share is here. And so to try to cite some new rigorous 
theological exegesis that isn't carefully paying attention to what this already says is to quench what God wants to do in and through us. It's in knowing the word of God and speaking the word of God in the truth that already remains that the Holy Spirit will be found working inside of us. To try to taint this to our own agenda, to try to warp it to what we want it to be because it would be convenient for me is to abandon what God truly wants to do in and through you. And so in conclusion, let me go back to where we started. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Paul, under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes the Holy Spirit like a fire that can be quenched. Like a fireplace that the Holy Spirit's power can be strengthened if you open the flue or can be snuffed out if you close it, except in our lives. So, if you look at your own life, what does it look like if the Holy Spirit isn't quenched? It says in verse 16 and 18 of the same book, same chapter, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in the Spirit in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When the Spirit is ignited in our lives, what do we look like? We look like someone that is living counterculture. With joy in the face of all opposition. We live with constant humbleness. We're consistently humbly praying. We're thankful. We're marking our blessings rather than focusing and marking the burdens in life. And the primary mark of the Holy Spirit is a life that is truly sold out, 100% devoted for God. And when we're not quenching the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can also enable us to more greatly, more wholly, truly believe in who God is and what God says he will do and wants to do. Verse 19 flows right into verses 20 and 22 where it says, Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't just concerned with the lives that we live, but also what we believe. 
And God calls us to, to strike this balance within our lives. That we would dedicate ourselves to the Spirit, to the doctrine, to the reading of God's Word, to the truths that are found within His Word, and that thus we would always be striving for the truth, for God's truth, not our friend's truth, but God's truth in our own life. Would you stand? Would you say right now that the Holy Spirit is a white-hot fire in your life? What about in our church? In your family? Is he a white-hot fire? I don't know how you would answer, and hopefully you are answering that personally right now. If you would say he's not, I have good news for you. You serve a God that is far more gracious and compassionate to you than you could ever believe. And if you are willing to be honest before God, to repent before him, God wants to reignite that fire within your heart. through turning to God, through allowing God to minister through you as you are being honest, sorry, to you as you are being honest with him about the state, if you've been quenching the spirit within your own life, by turning and being honest with him, he can reignite. He desires to fuel that fire. And the spirit desires to burn so strong in each and every one of our hearts to cause our love for God, for our love for others to grow. Spirit desires to strengthen your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your understanding. And so with the understanding, personal understanding that this isn't the whole answer, but it's a part of the answer. If you say, if you've been asking, why haven't we seen revival? I would answer that with certainty. The answer starts with us. It starts with me. What do I have to repent of before the Father? What do I have to do? doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It just means we've been misdirected. Part of the responsibility falls on the pastors, the leaders of, of our district that for decades we've taught the wrong things. We've directed in the wrong ways. And as pastors, as people that are supposed to be your shepherds. We have repenting to do before God 
before you guys. But understand, God's greatest days are not behind. They are not just memories. If we are willing to do the work, and it's not easy work, to shift our heart, our mindsets, to ensure I'm not getting in the way and that I'm not allowing things, my attitude, to quench the spirit. Man, God can move. God will revive Evangel Bathurst. God will revive Foursquare Church. God will revive uh, the big church, Catholic Church on the hill. God wants to do it. He desires to be used by you. And so uh, as I close today, you're, feel free to uh, slip out. I'm going to ask our breakthrough team, those that are here, to come forward. They desire to pray for you. If you desire to pray you can f- and be prayed for, you can come forward. If you desire to just pour out your heart to God, to allow him to rekindle a flame, to convict you of wrongdoing, to repent before him. Feel free to stay. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, for your greatness, for your unconditional love that you continue to pour out and show towards me, to all of us, time and time again. God, I thank you for what you want to do in this people. For how you want to use this people for even greater things than what we've already seen done. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you would chip away at stony hearts, at hearts that are convinced of, self-convinced of righteousness that we would not be self-righteous, but we would find ourselves holy as on to you. That we truly can be used by you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for how you ministered here today to, to my heart, Lord. We love you. We so desire to see you move, God. In your name, amen.